Father, we thank you for being with us today. We thank you for such a beautiful day as today. And we thank you that we can be together um, as a church family. Lord, we ask that you will please bless this service. Please bless the Sunday school classes. Lord, we ask that um, we may all learn more about you today and that you will give us something that we can take home with us and that we can implement, uh, Lord. Please show us what, what needs to be changed in our lives. Please come and work on us. We praise your name and we thank you for being with us. Amen. Amen. All right. Sunday school kids may dismiss. And then the rest of us, let's turn to First John chapter, oh, sorry, First Peter chapter 2. Still stuck in First John. First Peter chapter 2. Now, the last time I had the opportunity to teach in church, we were still busy going through this chapter. And for those of you that have been following along, it's been years in the making. <laughs> like literally, we've been going through this for a few years now. But without repeating everything that was said last time, we just don't have time for that. I believe we have recordings of that if you're interested. But I do want to start off by calling your attention to the, the main message that Peter is trying to bring across, um, at least in this part of the epistle. We're down there in, uh, at the end of chapter 2 today. Now, broadly speaking, he started off by talking about the importance of a believer's testimony in this world. He mentions in verse 12, as a sort of introduction to this, that we should live honest lives among the Gentiles, and that's the unbelievers around us, and, uh, of this world. And so that, he says, if you read there in verse 12, um, so having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So if you have a good testimony among the unbelievers of this world, one day... <laughs> They will glorify God when they stand in front of him in judgment because of all the things that they saw you doing if, if you had a good testimony. Folks, our testimony is a powerful thing. It's really powerful. And it is a shame to see Christians act in ways that are just not consistent with what they profess to believe or to hear them try and justify the things that they're doing or saying or whatever you know, by saying, well, don't judge me. You know, what, what I do or what I don't do has nothing to do with anybody else. That's simply not true. Um, our testimonies affect others. It can affect um, uh, fellow believers, either positively or negatively, or it can f affect unbelievers, either positively or, uh, or negatively. And that's very clear in Scripture. There's no doubt about that. But Peter is more concerned here about our testimonies in front of unbelievers in this, in this chapter. And in chapter 3, he even makes the point that a saved woman can win her unsaved husband to Christ simply by the way that, they con that she conducts herself. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, so if they are not saved, if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. That's not your chatter, all right? That's not that type of conversation. It's the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you're living. And we'll, we'll look at that um, if, if the Lord wills as the weeks go on. But our testimonies are so important, and it's very, very powerful. 
And I believe that the reason why our testimonies are so powerful is because it shows that there is some substance behind what you, what you profess to believe. You know, I think that is why all these stories that we hear about Christians, you know, in times past and even today, going through all sorts of horrible things, horrible tortures, and they still stand strong for Christ. I think that is why those stories are so amazing to us to hear and, and so inspiring, because it really proves that they do believe what they say they believe. And so Peter gives us some practical advice on how to maintain a good testimony in this world. And I like that. You know, I need some clear instruction. You really, you know, I'm the type of guy you need to give me step one, step two, step three. You know, if, if I buy something from the store and something that needs to be assembled, you know, I'm not the type of, you know, the stereotypical man that puts everything together and says, okay, I've got an extra screw. <laughs> I literally go step by step through the instructions and that's what I do. Maybe that's why I'm a, I'm a computer programmer because... I can communicate with them. <laughs> we talk the same language. But Peter starts off by saying that, that we should submit ourselves to the government and their ordinances. That's from verse 13 down to verse 17. And next he turns his, his attention to servants, or as we saw last time, employees, uh, by saying that they should submit to their masters or their bosses, regardless of whether or not these bosses are kind and gentle or not. And that's from verse 18 down to verse 20. And folks, we should submit, and his point is we should submit even if we are suffering unjustly. We should still submit. So then the question becomes, what does that look like? You know? How should I react if I am being treated unjustly? And that, that's what Peter gives us there from verse 21 on to verse 23. He basically says, well, look at Jesus. Look at what he did. <laughs> Jesus gave us the perfect example of of what to follow, you know, or the perfect example to follow on what to do and how to suffer unjustly, but to do it with patience. And we looked at this not long ago, even in the Bible school classes, if, if you've listened to the classes of John, you know, we, we actually went through everything that Jesus went through, or we saw everything he went through, and how he conducted himself throughout all of that. You know, he never uh, replied by threatening the people that were um, making him suffer, that were torturing him, basically, unjustly. He never uh, um, replied with an insult when they insulted him. Instead, Peter also says here, he committed himself to God <laughs> because he knew that God would judge him righteously and find him innocent. He knows he's, he knew he was innocent, and, and he also knew that his enemies would also be judged by the same God, and they would be punished for their sins one day. He knew that God would make all things right in the end, everything. And that's a great testimony. And I think it's a wonderful display of restraint, because it was God hanging on that cross, and of patience. You know, but, but then Peter reminds us in the final two verses of this chapter, which we are going to look at today, that even more important than the example that Jesus gave us on how to suffer um, unjust things that are us, is that he suffered for our sins as our substitute. And like I said, that's what we're going to look at today. So you've got First Peter chapter 2. Let's read verse 24. So still talking about Jesus, he says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, 
that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. This is the very heart of the gospel, folks. As Peter says here in verse 24, Jesus literally carried our sins in his own body, and he was tortured to death on that cross. That's what he had to do in order to save us. That was the solution. Now, think about this for a moment. What, what kind of sin do you think Jesus had to carry in his own body on that cross? Perhaps lies, you know? I think he had to carry lies. How about stealing? Of course, stealing or foul language. Maybe drunkenness he had to carry on him or adultery or cheating or disobedience to parents or rapes or murders or maybe that favorite sin of yours. You know which one I'm talking about. He had to carry all of that on him. Every single one. Every single sin that you can imagine, even those that haven't been thought out yet, he had to carry all of them on him. The punishment, and he took the punishment for that. Now, folks, we're talking about Jesus here. We're talking about the, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the Holy One, the Creator, the Good Shepherd. And he took all of those vile, disgusting sins on himself. And he bare them in his body. He, he did it not because anybody compelled him to do so. All right? he, he was under no obligation to do it at all. He, nobody overpowered him in some way and forced him to do that. All right? He did it all by himself. That, that, that's what Peter says here, isn't it? He says, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. Peter makes it very clear that, he, that he, Jesus did it all by himself. He decided to do it, and that's what he wanted to do. Now, how did Peter know this? <laughs> you know, where does he get this knowledge from? I think he, he just listened up when Jesus spoke. You know, turn your Bibles to John chapter 10 for a moment. John chapter 10. And we'll see where Peter got this idea from that Jesus did it all by himself. If you've got John chapter 10, we'll go there uh, to verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, look at verse 17. He says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because... I lay down my life that I might take it again. All right? He's, he's very clear about that. Verse 18, no man taketh it from me. <laughs> All right? Nobody's going to rob Jesus of his, of his life. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. These are some pretty amazing statements from Jesus, aren't they? You know, do you see that, that he knew exactly what he was letting himself in for when he came to earth and, and when the time came um, to, be, to be crucified? And he wanted us to know that nothing that happened to him was an accident at all. That's why we read um, time and time again how he said, well, I'm going to break the temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. All of these things that he said beforehand is, listen, folks, this will not be an accident, what's going to happen to me. I'm telling you beforehand so that you know when it happens, well, then this is what I meant to happen. This is what I, wa this is what I wanted to happen. 
He volunteered for it. He bare our, our sins in his own body, and he laid down his own life for us. He said in uh, verse 11, uh, you're still in John chapter 10, look at verse 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, what? He giveth, giveth his life for the sheep. He gives his life for the sheep. Now to say that Jesus bare our sins in his own body on the tree is to say that when he hung on that cross, he completely took our place and, and he was punished for our sins. Isaiah says in Isaiah 53 verse 6, you know, prophesying about what's going to happen to the Messiah, he says, the Lord hath laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jesus was punished when he was there on the cross, but not for his own sins. He, he had no sins of his own. He was completely innocent. He was punished for ours. To make that a little bit more personal, because this is very personal, he was punished for your sins, and for your sins, and for your sins, and for mine. Now for this to make sense, <laughs> you first have to recognize and admit that you have sinned. You know, if you think that you are perfect, and that you are, uh, then you are in no need for a savior, at least in your own mind. You know, but the reality is that everybody has sinned. There's not a person in this room that has not sinned, or, or a person listening to this that has never sinned in their life. That's what the Bible says. But but even if you've never been exposed to the Bible before, you can know that you are a sinner if you just take an honest look at yourself. You know, I think the problem is that most of us, even those that are saved, don't take the time anymore to just honestly um, examine ourselves and to examine our hearts. And I think part of the reason for that is that we're just always looking for the next bit of entertainment, aren't we? You know, we, uh, whether we spend our time to endlessly and aimlessly scroll through Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram, or whatever else the next social media platform is, or, or we fill every moment with the next TV series, or, or movie, or social event, or, or housework, or, or a book, or whatever else, whatever it may be. But as a whole, I don't think we take um, time anymore to just be still and to examine ourselves. But if you, if you do take, take the time, if you think you don't have any sin... I, w- I would ask you, please, take my advice. Put your phone down for a bit. You know, shut down the TV, shut off the computer, uh, say no to the next invitation to do something, or, or, or just put your to-do list on hold for a moment and go and sit somewhere where you can examine yourself for a while. <laughs> Believe me, trust me, really. <laughs> it won't take long for you to, to start to see the sin that is in your life. Uh, you won't have to dig very deep. Because all of us have sinned, every single one of us. And Jesus carried those sins in his own body there on the cross. And when he did that, he became the perfect substitute for us. You know, he traded his sinlessness for our sins, his, his perfection for our faults. He traded he, the, the just one, basically. The just one died for the unjust as Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Now, folks, don't make the mistake in thinking that when, when Jesus took our sins on himself and carried it in his own body, that he somehow became a sinner. No, he was innocent. He didn't become a sinner, even though he took our sins on him. 
He was just as holy and innocent when he hung on that cross as ever. He never committed any sin. He was innocent. But he was punished as if he committed every sin. He took our place. He took our place. So the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus as if he committed your sins. This wrath that I'm talking about is all his anger, his hatred for sin, his, his punishment, that holy punishment for sins, was all poured out on, on Jesus. As 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, famous verse says, He made him, God the Father, made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, because he never did any sin, that we might be made of God in him. Jesus took the full punishment of our sins there on the cross. And, and so he fulfilled all the requirements of justice so that God could forgive every single person who would turn to Christ and put their faith in him. And folks, that's why we can sing songs like, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, or Glory, I'm saved, Glory, I'm saved. Because as Jesus himself said, there is no greater display of love than when he laid down his life for us. And that is a reason to rejoice. That is a reason to sing, glory, I'm saved. You know, one Friday night a few weeks ago, it was a long weekend. God, I thank God for all the long weekends. <laughs> but we were listening to a few songs at home. And one of them was an Afrikaans song. It's called Houtkreis. I think some of you might know that song. In English, it means the wooden cross. And I love that song, I really do. And in one of those verses, the singer makes the point that he thinks back to how David um, danced and rejoiced before the ark of the Lord when the ark was returned to Jerusalem. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 6. Now, wow, that's loud. All right. Now, you will remember that it was a very public thing that David did. He danced in front of the ark and he made music and... and and the singer then says, well, if David um, could rejoice like that over the ark being returned to Jerusalem, why do we just sit like this and keep our silence? How can we even do that? And I think that's a great point. Isn't Jesus dying on the cross much better than the ark returning to Jerusalem? Of course it is. Of course it is. Now, you can take that point that the songwriter make, made in two ways. Um, as far as I can see. The first is the one that I almost took it as, is that, well, we should then go out and tell everyone that Jesus took our sins on himself and he was punished on our behalf so that we can go free. And that is the truth. And I, I believe that's what the songwriter meant. And that is what we should do. If you were here last week or you listened to last week's sermon, that is what we should be doing. But when we listened to this the other day, I realized that another way that I could understand this picture that the songwriter was drawing for us was that we should be rejoicing over the cross of Jesus, shouldn't we? <laughs> you know, like, like David rejoiced over the ark, why don't we rejoice about the cross? I told my family that we should take that weekend, it's a long weekend, as I've mentioned, I like long weekends, that's why I remember. <laughs> that we should take this weekend and throughout the weekend, let's remind each other 
you know, that we should be rejoicing because there was a cross made of a tree where my Lord Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world. And my son, now my wife said, you know, I've got two sons. You know, and I know I've got two sons, but there's only one that can really talk or speak, you know. So <laughs> he was the one that would remind us most often. And he would say, Daddy, we must rejoice. I would say, why? And he, and he would then answer, because there was a wooden cross. <laughs> and he would have this big smile with his big eye. Oh, man, that was precious. And he still do, does it now every once in a while. But, but folks, sure, it was an extremely serious event that happened. I don't want to um, take anything away from the seriousness of Jesus dying on the cross. Of course it was serious. But we should be rejoicing that he did it. Because on that day, he was victorious over sin and the devil. And three days later, he became victorious over death itself. <laughs> and now if you are saved then you are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, you have taken part in that victory. We actually spoke about this last night. Uh, well, basically just me and my family. But um, how that if Jesus didn't, didn't ever suffer, go through that suffering, or if he never died on the cross, if he said, listen, I can't take this anymore, I'm going. Or when he prayed in the garden and, and you know, he was, he was so... Um, what was it? Oh, don't get the word. Let's say anxious. I don't know if that's the correct word, but you get me. But he, he was even sweating, and he, his, his sweat was like blood, you know, because of the events that would follow. And he said, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, let your will be done. If at that point Jesus said, listen, no, sorry, folks, I can't take this. Or maybe even if he died on the cross and he never rose again from the dead, if anything of that story was missing, then there was no hope for us. There, was, there would be no hope for me or for you, for anybody else. He had to do it. And it was his love that compelled him to do so. He really wanted to, really wanted to do it. Folks, if you, have, if you are in Christ, you have taken part of the victory that he has earned. And that is reason to rejoice. And so Peter continues to say here, uh, let's go back to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Let's just get the whole verse again. He says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. So this ties in with what Paul actually wrote in Romans chapter 6. So you can keep your place here. Let's just go to Romans chapter 6 for a moment. This is the Bible study hour. That's why we're paging so much. Romans chapter 6. And I, I would like to encourage you, because I wanted to read this entire chapter. Um, we just don't have time. I'd like to encourage you, please go and read this at home. You know, maybe study it out a bit. But Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, let's read that. He says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Now what is this baptism? If, if any of you have ever attended a, a baptism at our church, you will know that when Brother Mike puts the people in the water, he says, buried with him in baptism. 
all right? And then when he brings them up, he says, and raised to walk in newness of life. It comes from this verse, Romans 6 and verse 4. Now, this baptism that Paul is referring to is not that baptism of water, all right? Look at verse 3, and you'll see why. He says, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? So where were we baptized into? Into Jesus. How does that work? <laughs> All right. To be baptized means to be immersed. It means to be placed into something. So if he says we are baptized into Jesus Christ, it means that when you get saved, you are being placed into Christ. That's the baptism that he's talking about in verse 4. So let's go back to verse 4. He says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When does this start? Walking in the newness of life. It starts the day you get saved. Because you get a new life. And to walk in this newness of life... It means to live in it, to live it out. You know, this baptism into Jesus is a very intimate union with him. And as one commentator that I read um, noted on this, he says that this union does not only change a believer's standing before God, but it changes the believer's very nature. Your standing before God um, has to do with the way that he sees you. You know, if you are not saved, then your standing before God is that you are his enemy. If you don't believe me, go and read Romans 5. You know, um, Paul says there that before we were saved, we were the enemies of God. That means if you are not saved today, you are the enemy of God. That's a scary place to be. Really scary. But if you are saved then your standing has changed. You're not an enemy in, anymore, but you are now called a child of God. And with that, he has declared you righteous. <laughs> because Jesus took your sins from you, and he gave you his righteousness. So your standing has changed. But this salvation goes so much further than, than just that. I say just that, but it's a big deal. <laughs> All right. But it goes even further than that. Not only have your sins been dealt with, but when you are born again, you receive a brand new nature. And that, that's Paul's point here. We've, we've read verse 4. Let's read, read verse 5. He says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. What's the old man? That's me before I was saved. The old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth, what? We should not serve sin. So will you sin? Unfortunately, yes, you will. But you should not be serving sin. I once heard a preacher say that the difference between a lost person and a saved person is that the, the lost person dives into sin and the saved person falls into sin. 
Okay? You see, a lost person dives into sin like a, like a pig dives into mud. You know, I've got the picture of this cartoon pig you know, standing on the, on the board, <laughs> jumping into the mud, swimming around, because they love it, man. They will just roll through that mud and try to get it all over them. They love it. That's, that's one of the things they enjoy the most, besides eating, I guess. <laughs> but the, the pig or the lost person dives into his sin as the pig dives into his mud. But a saved person falls into sin. Like when you drive down the road and you hit a pothole. Oh, I hate that. Oh man, nobody means to eat a pothole. All right? Nobody wants to do that. Unless you've got one of those big buckets and you want to show off. You, know? <laughs> you say, guys, look, these tires are so big they go over the pothole. <laughs> But nobody means to eat a pothole. I, I hate that. It's the most terrible feeling when that happens, you know. Especially when you hit one of those big ones. And you, uh, if you're going th- um, by a reasonable speed down the road and you actually hit one of those big ones, oh, I hate it. You know, it feels and it sounds like something exploded in your car. I don't know if you've ever hit it that hard. I've done it twice, maybe three times. But, oh, don't you just hate that? My next thought is, okay, now I'm going to have to buy a new tire, maybe have the rim fixed, and whatever, whatever. But that's how a saved person feels about his sin, okay? He hates it. He tries to avoid it. And the Bible says that we should not serve sin because it doesn't make sense to keep on serving that thing that your Savior paid so dearly for to save you from. Why would you keep on serving that thing? Our old man was crucified with Christ so that we should not serve sin anymore, but instead live unto righteousness. So let me ask you this. What kind of effort are you making to live unto righteousness? Do you find yourself, perhaps more often than not, diving into sin, you know, like that pig dives into the mud? rolling around, just, ah, just enjoying it so much. Do you enjoy your sin or are you careful to avoid it? Think about this, you know. If the Lord Jesus carried your sins on Him there on the cross and He paid for every single one of them, of you paying for them, doesn't it just make sense that we should make an effort to try and avoid those sins? I think it does. And, and you can come back to First Peter 2. He says that we are dead to sins and that we should live unto righteousness. And he continues, still speaking about Jesus in, in verse 24. Ah, let's read the whole verse again, why not? He says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. By whose stripes you were healed. That's taken from Isaiah 53 verse 5. And I think that you can see by now, since we've been following along with the context, that this healing that Peter is talking about, and Um, Isaiah, of course, as well, since he's quoting Isaiah, is a spiritual healing. It's it's not a physical healing. I say that because there are people 
that preach that this verse and the one in Isaiah and some other verses uh, is, is trying to tell us that Jesus died so that we can be physically healthy. Now, why would Peter all of a sudden talk about physical health when he's been talking about our souls and how Jesus died for our sins and all of that? That doesn't make sense. Um, that's an important thing to, to remember. It's absolute nonsense to think that he died so that we can be physically healthy. The Bible doesn't support Now, sure, let, let me uh, qualify this. We're not, going to be, we're not promised to be physically healthy in this life. All right? You get that? And even if you really wanted to ignore the context, now never do that, but even if you really wanted to, you still have a problem. <laughs> because if this healing that Peter and Isaiah was talking about was a physical healing, then it means that believers would never get sick and die. All right, so let's follow this road. Now, I, I've heard these guys say, you know, and people telling me, listen, this is what they told me, is that they say, well, if you get sick, you just don't have enough faith. But let's think that one through for a moment, all right? Um, without even referring to Scripture. Let's just use our brains because God gave us brains. You know, it's easy to say things like that when you're standing in, uh, you know, at a pulpit in front of a bunch of people and you, you sound like you sort of know what you're talking about. You know? then, then, then some people would actually believe you, maybe, maybe most. But just on a practical level, if it was true that somebody that has the right kind of faith, whatever that is, all right, that, that right kind of faith, so that he never gets sick and die because of that sickness, doesn't it mean that we should have at, at least, at the very least, one believer here on earth that's like hundreds of years old, or maybe thousands even? We should have at least one, right? There must be one true believer. Now, I've never heard of somebody like that. <laughs> maybe, maybe you have. You know, maybe, maybe I should just Google it. Um, <laughs> but what I do read in the Bible is where Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, that not all of us will die, but all of us will change. Now, what does that mean? If he says not all of us will die, well, it means that some of us will die. <laughs> all right? In fact, most of us will die. You know, he says that not all of us will die, but all of us will be changed. At that moment when the trumpet sounds and, and the Lord comes down to fetch us, you know, and we, we go up to meet Him in the clouds with all the saints that have passed away and those that are living now, we all gather together with Him there in the clouds. And then this corruptible body, this thing that gets sick, this thing that, that can feel pain and go through all of these horrible things, it will be done with. And we will put on that incorruptible body that the Lord will give us, you know, the same type of body that He currently has. And then there will be no more sickness. Can you imagine? No more sickness. No more pain. No more suffering. No more death. But until then, believers will get sick. We will. And they will die. Folks, Jesus died to save us from the penalty of our sin. He healed our souls and He will heal our bodies in the future. Look at verse 25 and we'll end off here today. He ends off by saying, For ye were a sheep going astray, 
but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So before we were saved, Peter says that we were just like a bunch of sheep. Bah, bah. <laughs> just a bunch of sheep wandering around, you know, with, without a shepherd. And now there's a lot that we can say about that analogy, and we just don't have time to get into that today. But Peter takes this, and if you know your Bible, it, this will sound familiar to you, but it, it comes from Isaiah 53 verse 6 where Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Now, isn't that the truth? <laughs> you know, He says that sinners are just wandering around like a bunch of sheep with everyone going their own way, trying to find some sort of solution, you know, what, whatever they think it is that they need. When in reality, what they really need is a shepherd. Instead, some of them turn this way, towards money, thinking, about, well, this is the answer to my problems, this will help me in life and even after life in some way, you know. The others go, go that way in search of a bunch of sensual pleasures, whatever it may be. Others turn that way and they, they go towards their religious duties and their religious rituals and things that they do, thinking that that will help them find their way and, in life and even after death. Am I describing any of you? today, I wonder. You know, we've looked at what it means that, that, that Jesus carried our sins in his own body and he did it willingly. And, and so if you have not done that yet, I really would like to invite you to turn from your sins today and turn toward Christ. For those that are saved, Peter says, he is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Now, that just means that he takes care of our souls, you know. We are safe with him. Um, that if we are saved, we are in no danger of losing our souls anymore. Praise God for that. And so the invitation stands for those who are not yet saved. Please, run to Christ today. Don't let a moment go past before you do that. Put your faith in him, and he will save you. He promised. He promised. He's not like a man that he should lie. He never breaks his promises. He promised. If you're not sure how to do that or what to do or you would like to know some more or would like somebody to explain it, you're welcome to find me afterwards. I'll be here somewhere or find any, almost anybody, you know, ask Garrett or Amant or anybody else in this church. But don't let this day go past before you go to Christ. This might be your last chance. And we would be honored to explain it to you. Let's pray. Jesus, I don't think we can thank you enough for what you've done for us. I've often thought that maybe that is why eternity is so long. <laughs> because we can just keep on praising you, keep on thanking you for what you've done for us. Lord, may we get a better appreciation for what you've done. Lord, help us to follow you and to live unto righteousness. Please help those that are not saved today, Lord. Touch their hearts. Please let them run to you today. We ask that you please bless our fellowship and the next service to come.
but keep on working in our hearts. Please don't let us forget what we're learning today or whatever you're pointing out to us today. We praise your name and we thank you for being with us. Amen.